Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a one-week break from the Gospel of John. It feels like forever since I have seen you. I don't know where you guys have been <laughs> these last uh, few weeks. Uh, now, I took a couple of Sundays off, um, and then, uh, you know, I, I try to get to all of our churches on a, a, a rotation, so when I take some Sundays off, it means I'm not here for as long as I would uh, really like to be, but I wanted to just take a second to uh, uh, tell you why I, I took those two Sundays off. I, I, the church is eight years old, and uh, the one thing that I have realized about myself is the, the best thing that I have to offer Bayou City is, is not being here on Sunday and opening up the scripture. Lots of people can do that. Um, the best thing that I feel like I can offer to the church is really my own personal faith, a genuine, vibrant, real belief that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified for the sins of the world, resurrected on the third day, and will return. And sometimes just doing ministry, as all of us have experienced, hopefully, uh, it is easy to keep doing ministry uh, and your ministry get louder. Meanwhile, your personal faith uh, get turned down. And so just taking a couple of weeks to step back and just go, hey, just a second, do I still believe this? Um, and... Um, and so it turns out I do still believe it. And so we're in good shape. So Acts chapter 1. It is good to be uh, back here. I, I really do wish that I could see you every week. Acts chapter 1. What now? Uh, that had to be the question that the disciples were asking themselves. As they followed Jesus up to this mountain outside of Jerusalem. Because in the last 40 or 50 days, their whole lives had been turned upside down. Because Jesus had been crucified. And for us, that is good news. It's the heart of the gospel. But for them, it was incredibly bad news. I mean, it's whatever is worse than bad news. Because when they agreed to follow Jesus, they were agreeing to follow somebody who would become the champion of Israel. And, and when they followed Jesus, it meant much more than going to church once a week. For them, it literally meant following Jesus. And so they started in Galilee in northern Israel, but they would follow him down to Jerusalem. And then they would follow him to the neighboring region. And wherever he went, they, they went. So they left their jobs, their vocations. They are often separated from their families. And so for three years, they did this. Imagine just putting your whole life on hold for three years because you're betting on something turning out. And so when Jesus was crucified... What that meant was they had lost the bet, uh, that their faith had been in vain. They thought he was going to be the uh, reigning Messiah, and he died. So they, they went away to hide and grieve and uh, lick their wounds. But thank goodness, on that Sunday morning, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He appeared to the women there, and they, he, he said to the women, go and tell your brothers that I'm alive. And then Jesus ended up appearing to them himself a little later that day. And so for about 40 days, uh, he was with them, uh, resurrected. But all along the way, in his teaching, he had been tolding, telling them about returning to the Father. And so even though they're incredibly excited about his resurrection and all that it means, they know that he's not going to remain with them for forever. Um, and uh, so they're going up this mountain here, what seems like it's going to be the end of their day-to-day -day relationship. And they're thinking to themselves, what do we do now? And, and he tells them what he wants them to do now. He gives them these instructions. 
And what's so great for us today is we'll find ourselves in situations where we're asking the same thing. What now? Uh, you have some transition in your life, your job transition, life transition, health transition, whatever it is. Uh, kids leave the house, whatever. Um, uh, lots about our lives will change, but these instructions, they never change. Just think about how different your life is right now from, from five years ago. Just think about it for just a second. Right? Uh, I bet your life is, is real different. Uh, it will be even more different five years from now, but these instructions that Jesus gave his disciples outside of Jerusalem on this day, they endure. And they were good for them and then every person who believed in Jesus because of their testimony. So let's read it together. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. Then gathered around him, they, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here are the instructions, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will go and testify about me. Now, Jesus has already invited them to do this, in fact, twice. The first time was just the original 12 disciples. Uh, they had been following him from village to village to village, and he was preaching about the nearness of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has been opened through my ministry. That was his message. But he says to his disciples, now I want you to go and do what you've watched me do. So they partnered up and they would go from village to village to village. And they would say, the kingdom of God has come near through Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that he's the Messiah. Sometimes they would be welcomed in and their message would be received. Sometimes it would be rejected. And he even gave them instructions for what to do when a village rejected them. They should walk to the edge of the village, uh, brush the dust off of their sandals and then move on to the next village. So he does it with the 12. A little later on in his ministry, he sends out the next concentric circle, uh, uh, the 72 or 70 disciples, depending on how you, uh, your version of the Bible reads it. The same thing. Uh, the kingdom of God has come near through the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Now he's telling them to go and do it again. Uh, there's just an extra sentence uh, on the end of their message. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus of Nazareth, life, death, and resurrection. So go and tell people about my resurrection. Now think about how easy that would be to share. Right? Many of you work in the uh, medical industry and there are all kinds of crazy things that happen uh, to people in the hospitals. We've all heard those stories about somebody who, you know, they, they died for five minutes and then uh, they were able to be brought back. I mean, think about if you experienced something like that uh, and, and you watched the, the, the dying, the and then all of a sudden, Beep, 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 beep. You, you would tell everybody. We would all know about that time in, 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 as you were a nurse, that, that amazing thing happened. Think about how easy it would be to share that. Now, 
The disciples, they knew Jesus was dead three days in the grave and then resurrected. And then he lived with them 40 days and then they watched him go up into heaven. So he says, go and be witnesses about that. It must have been pretty easy to share. I mean, you would be motivated. Said, you're never going to believe this. Um, he was dead and, and now he's alive again. For us, it can get a, a little bit harder because the resurrection of Jesus has become so normalized to us. In fact, I've probably already said it, said it 17 times and none of you have batted an eye. None of you have went, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. None of you picked up your phone and Google. Is that really true? Because you've heard it so, so many times and I've heard it. It's just become a normal part of our faith. And so we lose some of the motivation in sharing this incredible story because the story has not been that incredible to us in quite some time. It's just a, another fact about our faith, which is very important to us. But he says, go and be my witnesses of my ministry, my, my death and my resurrection. And he's already told them how they, they need to be the, the witnesses. They need to do it through their words. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, how will people hear without preachers? And what's interesting in, in the New Testament, preachers are not, that's not me. Uh, I'm teaching right now, but preaching is heralding. It's just spreading a message and we should all be doing that. Uh, somewhere throughout history, we started calling what I'm doing right here now preachers. And so we read those verses that we should all be preachers and you think, well, I don't really uh, want to do that. Uh, I'm not a good public speaker, but preaching is just doing the act of what Jesus is saying here, witnessing about his life, death and resurrection. And he said that Paul says, how will people hear if somebody doesn't go and explain it? Jesus has also told the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that people will see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. And so it's this powerful combination of the words that I'm saying backed up by the things that I am doing in Jesus' name. Go and be my witnesses. And then he tells them where to do it. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jerusalem was where they were. You know, what's interesting about those three locations is they read, you've maybe heard this before because it's not original to me, um, the, uh, like a table of contents for the book of Acts. Uh, chapters one through seven is all about what happens in Jerusalem. Uh, chapters eight through 11 are what happens in the region surrounding Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And then chapter nine through the rest of the book of Acts is the ends of the earth, uh, the gospel frontiers of the Roman Empire. But Jerusalem was where they were at this moment. They were going up a hill outside of Jerusalem. That's where they had been when Jesus was arrested. Um, they prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The crowd comes to, uh, to get him there. And then they try him in Jerusalem. And then they crucify him right outside of Jerusalem. And then he's resurrected from the dead in Jerusalem. They eventually go to Galilee during that 40-day window where many of them were from. But now they're back in Jerusalem. So when Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem... That's where they are. So he wants us to witness to his life, death, and resurrection wherever we are. So that's your neighborhood, that's work, that's among your friends. Judea and Samaria were the regions um, there in Israel. Judea was where Jerusalem was. 
Samaria was the region just north of that. The disciples had been both of those places. Most of them, if not all of them, were from northern Israel. To get to Jerusalem, which they went to at least once a year, they would have to travel through Judea and often Samaria. Uh, The Samaritans, by the way, were people that they didn't really care for in their natural state. He says, this is where you witness to me next in the regions outside, the places that you have been and will go. So for some of us, we might say we need to go and witness in Austin because we've all been to Austin. We are all going to go to Austin again because if you're under 35, you have to check in with Austin at least once a month, seems like. It's like moth to a flame. Very cool scene there in Austin. If you're going to go and you're going to go, you got to go to be witnesses. But then the ends of the earth, this is, these are places that they would not have otherwise gone except for these instructions that Jesus is giving them today. What's cool about the way that Jesus invited his disciples was he did not go to a seminary and post a job uh, notice. I'm looking for ministers. I'm looking for Bible scholars. I'm looking for experts. Uh, he, he didn't do that. Um, he went and looked for plumbers. He went and looked for people in the construction construction, uh, industry. He went to some teachers. He went to some financial managers. He just went to regular people. And and because most of the disciples are just regular people, they would never have needed to go to Rome. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, four fishermen, they're the first that Jesus called. At best, their middle class would have never needed to go Uh, to Greece. You know, this was pre-Instagram, so nobody needed to go on awesome vacations. Uh, They would have just lived their whole lives in Galilee and maybe once or twice a year going down to Jerusalem. But Jesus sends them to the ends of the earth. So these are the places that you and I would not otherwise have a reason to go to Except for these instructions, Jesus says, this is your responsibility. And they, they follow through. They go to the ends of the earth. I brought this map with me. Um, th- this is a map of where um, history tells us, and this is not history in the sense of like the confidence that we have in the scripture, but just, uh, just the, the early stories of the original disciples of Jesus. This is where uh, they believe that they died. Of course, you can find some differences of opinions, but what you will find, no matter who you read, is that only one of them, maybe another of them, died in Israel. They, they died in the world. And remember, these are people who would probably have lived and died in Israel normally, but they didn't. They, they followed Jesus' instructions, and not just one time. But they kept following his instructions to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all the way until it was their end. And Jesus is still sending people to these places. And the good news, too, for us is that it's, it's not Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, ends of the earth, like freshman team, JV team, varsity team. 
I think some of us wish that it was because maybe you were not a gifted athlete, so you knew you could be on the freshman team, but you, didn't, you, you weren't going to have any chance of the varsity. So really, you're just like, I'll just say let those. They're like six foot six, you know, that I'm, I'm not going to be on there. A lot of us treat these instructions kind of like that, like, hey, I'm a Jerusalem person. I got a Jerusalem skill set. Uh, I, I, you know, I just am not spiritual giant. Those are the people that go to the ends of the earth. But you notice Jesus doesn't say it like that. He says all three of these places for all of you. And, and I wonder if you have taken that in and are hearing that today. Jerusalem is for you, where you are. And right now you are in Houston. It's for you. Judea and Samaria. Regions outside of Houston. So maybe Texas, maybe the United States. Places that you've been, places that you will go again, witness there. And to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth at the moment for them in first, uh, the first century. Uh, Spain in the west. Uh, China in the east. Ethiopia in the south. They may have known there were other things on the outside beyond those places. But um, either they were unexplored. Or word of the exploration had not gotten back to Israel. So that was as far as their mind could probably conceive. And so they went as far as they possibly could in those directions. And Christ is still sending people. Still sending people from our church to those three places. Look at what they, they ask him in verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, remember, when they agreed to follow Jesus, they were making a bet. They were betting that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that the Old Testament had prophesied about. And it was believed that the Messiah was going to do three primary things. Uh, First, the Messiah was going to restore the kingly lineage of the house of David. Remember way in the Old Testament, God promises King David, one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. And that happens for a while, but because of the wickedness of the people, Babylon comes from the south, Assyria from the north, and and Israel no longer has a king ruling uh, Israel. Uh, Because after those two empires, it was Greece, and then at this time, it's Rome. And so at the moment that Jesus is is saying these instructions, Israel doesn't have a king. It has some families who call themselves king, but really no king, and, and no king of the lineage of David. So it was believed that the Messiah would restore this. And his son beget his son, and his son beget his son, and his son beget uh, his son. And so what the disciples are asking, hey, is that going to happen now? Are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? And they, they're going to become kings? Is, is, that, is that happening? The second thing they believe that the Messiah was going to do is what, uh, restore uh, the temple to its uh, former prominence. The temple was... Uh, was running itself in the first century, but not like in the days of their ancestors, when God's presence was visibly there, when there was a cloud of God's presence uh, there in the temple. So they're still going to the temple. They're making their sacrifices. They're doing their religious acts. They're saying their prayers. But it's not the same as the stories that they had heard of their ancestors. And they believe once the Messiah was king again and the house of David that was being restored, uh, then God would return. 
back to the temple in Jerusalem. And the third thing they believe the Messiah was going to do is regather the lost tribes of Israel. Because when Babylon came and Assyria came, Greeks, the Greeks after that and the Romans after that, people spread all over the known world. And it was believed that everybody would kind of come back. There would be a coronation of the Messiah and then God would return. Some of you folks uh, know, uh, have seen The Lord of the Rings. You remember the third movie? I, I didn't read the books because I'm not like that. Uh, but I, I did see the movie. And there at the end of the movie, Aragon, I think I'm saying his name right, is there in Minas Tirith and they're crowning uh, him king. They're restoring the kingly line and everybody has come from the different tribes and they're all recognizing this is the king of all of the land. That's what the Jewish people believed the Messiah was going to do. And so the disciples asked this very good question. Are you going to, at this time, now do these things? It was a good question. But it was a distracting question from the instructions that Jesus was getting ready to, to give them. And so when we think about our responsibility to be witnesses, where we are, where we have been, where we will be, and where we would never otherwise go, we're going to ask some distracting questions. For example, we'll ask, how can I be sure God, you're asking me to go someplace that I would probably not go. Uh, if I'm honest, I really don't want to go. How can I really be sure that this is your voice that's telling me to do this? That's what Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, said to an angel. When the angel brings a message to God in Luke chapter 1, uh, your wife Elizabeth is going to get pregnant. She was beyond childbearing age. They had never been able to have children. And this son is going to be born and he's going to be the prophet that goes ahead of the Messiah. And Zechariah says to, let me say it again real slow, an angel, how will I know for sure? <laughs> what that proves to us uh, today is uh, we so often, so strongly do not want to do God's will, we will say, mm, I don't know, I'm going to need more proof. God gives us the proof by His grace, more proof, more proof, more proof, more proof. And it's really mostly just out of a heart that I don't want to do the thing that God, I know that you're asking me to do. So I'm going to make you prove it. And so it could be today that God is stirring in you. Hey, ends of the earth, ends of the earth. And you're like, no, no, Jerusalem. <laughs> okay, I will go, but I'm going to have to have an angel come and confirm this word. I'm going to need my mom to bring it up randomly. <laughs> it's a good question. How can I be sure? Um, it can be a distracting question. What if people get upset? That's what the disciples asked Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15, they say to Jesus, don't you know that the, the Pharisees are upset with you? If you and I get serious about, I have a responsibility to witness to the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be a good question to ask. Are people going to get upset? Are my friends going to get upset? Are my, my colleagues going to get upset? If you think about moving somewhere for the purpose of witnessing, is my family going to get upset? 
when Amanda and I had been married about a year and a half, we volunteered for a short ministry job in England. And England is not like, you know, some hard to place to live. So this, this is not me bragging. Um, but it was a move away. And the hardest, most terrifying conversation in all of it was not would people support us financially and give to us to pay for plane tickets and stuff. It was to tell our parents hey, we're going to go and do this for a little bit because you don't want to upset people. It's a good question, but not if that good question is distracting from the instructions that Jesus has given us. Who is my neighbor? That's what the young man asked Jesus. Do I really have to love these people? Can I just love the people that are easiest to love? Can I just go to the people? Lord, send me to River Oaks. (laughs) Somebody's got to go. Send me to Hawaii. The people of Hawaii. I raise my hand, Lord. But then there are other places that may be a little bit harder. They don't just immediately capture an easy yes. Then Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, James and John, they ask a good question, uh, but for a bad reason, uh, Jesus, we're going to ask you two questions. We're getting ready to ask you a question, but will you say yes to us just right now before we even ask you what it is we, we're going to ask you. Right? Uh, will you say yes to me? And that, that probably is the biggest distracting question for most of us. Right? If God is trying to send us out, but we are too busy trying to secure yeses from him, mostly built around things that make me more comfortable here in Jerusalem, trying to get yeses from God to make my life more comfortable will distract me from being willing to say my own yes to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends ends of the earth. Good questions, but distracting. Then look what he says in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the power of God's Spirit as we go out and witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable for two reasons. Number one, because to go out and witness about Jesus without the power of God behind us is just to transmit our religious culture from one place to another. And you see this in country music. Uh, I'm a big country music fan of the old stuff, you know, because I'm old. Uh, And uh, the country music is filled with references to God and Jesus. Like I think about the great philosopher Keith Urban. Uh, He has a song uh, about uh, John Cougar, John Deere, and John 316. And in country music, those three things go together, uh, no problem. I can't say that I am that familiar with the songbook of John Cougar Mellencamp. In fact, uh, I don't think I've ever met anybody who could name one of his songs. I'm sure you can. I'll see you afterwards, uh, I guess, to learn about that. But in country music, often what happens is there's this cultural Christianity that fills the song because it's a part of 
the culture of the people who are listening to country music. And so it can go in the same song as uh, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels and uh, Girlfriend or Boyfriend. They, they all fit together because over time, what got transmitted is not the, the heart-wrenching, grabbing power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What got communicated was, be good. And go to church and love your mom. All things that are good, but none of which you need to actually be a follower of Jesus to do. So before the disciples get out there and start witnessing, Jesus tells them to wait for the power of God's Spirit. So when they get out there, there is something effective, effective in drawing attention to the gospel, effective in actually transforming someone's life. I may have told you this story uh, years before, but for, forgive me. Uh, so I decided to be a minister, decided for whatever, uh, religious, I was called, whatever, however you want to do that. I didn't have other career options, and so I became a minister. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a young man. I was probably, I, was, I lie. I was in high school, at the end of high school, when I felt like, ah, I think this is what God wants me to do. And so when I went to college, that's, that's what, I, uh, what I was studying for. And so my whole life, all I have really contributed to the world is what what I'm, what I'm doing now. And, um, and so I have taught more messages than I, I would care to count. Um, and in my late 20s, um, I started noticing that after I would finish with one of these messages, people would come up and, and they would be like, hey, that was great. I was like, thank you so much. And somebody else would come up and be like, I really like that. You're so funny. Like, thank you. Uh, and, and I started thinking back. I was like, oh, I think that that's the only thing that people are saying. Okay, that's, that was good. I like that story that you told. That was real funny. And what I was not hearing was, here's how I think my life is going to be different because of what you just showed me in the scripture. You know how God kind of creates sometimes discontent in you? It's not discontent because you want more and you can't get more, but like really like there is something out there that I want and I do not have it right now. And I came to that place. Uh, God, I will trade in every post message that was great for just a little taste of people's lives being transformed by your power through my feeble offering. Nobody ever has to say, that was great and you're funny ever, ever again. Even though I would love to hear that and I want to be funny and I want to be great. If just somebody, just one person would say, I will never be the same. Not because of you, but because of what God did in the seat with me while you were up there, I just, I'll, I'll trade all that in. But there's not, like, you can't take a seminary course about that. You can't Google that. And where I was working at the time, there was this little, this little side yard where we were, had an office that used to be a house. And so what used to be their backyard 
And so I started just slipping out there um, every day. And I just walk in a little circle and just pray. And I don't even know what I was praying for, but just, just this stuff, this stuff that's on these pages right here, I want it out of here and into my life. I don't read any time that Peter preached a message and somebody was like, oh, you're funny. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, they say, with their hearts ripped open, what do we have to do to be saved? Right? So God, please, 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 please. I want to taste that. Now I'm telling you, God met me in that side yard. Not one day, but just every day for 20, 30 minutes at a time. And I realized that I think I was doing so much of my ministry just, hey, get out there and volunteer and had not waited for the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God. Thankfully, the disciples didn't do that. They didn't rush out there and get into witnessing. They just stayed in Jerusalem and prayed. And in the next chapter of Acts, we see the Spirit of God descending in a miraculous and supernatural way. And the world has been forever different. And you are here today because they waited for the power of God through the Spirit of God. Then look what happens at the end. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends, this disappears through the clouds. He's now with the Father. When they stop looking up, there are two angels there who are saying, good news, let us complete this story for you. He's coming back here to this very spot. You have your instructions, wait and then go and he'll meet you right back here again. And they believed it. I mean, they believed that there was real urgency on the witnessing in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wasn't there that day, but the resurrected Jesus would appear to him on, uh, on the side of the road, uh, said, uh, I'm not going to get married. Now, imagine that. Some of you who are single, imagine being like, I'm so convinced that Jesus is going to return back to this very spot that I will forgo dating, finding a, a significant someone to spend the rest of my life with, uh, a wife, a husband. I, I'm, going to, I'm not even going to participate in that because Jesus will come back at any minute and i got to be out there witnessing. That's how Paul lived. All of the disciples, they, they lived with this. Jesus could come back and it gives it a real sense of urgency uh, of, hey, we got to get to this. This isn't something that I'm going to grow up into or one day when it's easier for me or one day when I don't have uh, as much going on or one day when I have a position of authority in my company then I can live for Christ and there'll be more influence. It is right here, right now, today. He is coming back. So we've got to get to work. And here on this mountain, they transition from disciple to apostle. And that's the transition that I want all of us to make today. If you haven't already, right? from just quote unquote Christian to apostle. Now, not with a capital A, 
These, these apostles, they wrote the scriptures inspired by the Spirit of God, so nobody needs to go down and write their thoughts, staple it to the back of the Bible. That's not that kind of apostle. But apostle means one sent out. And that's how we're all leaving today. We're leaving as people sent out to Jerusalem, where we're going to be this week. To Judea and Samaria, where we've been. And maybe some of us need to leave as people to going to the ends of the earth, places we would not have otherwise considered going except for these instructions right here. Uh, if, if we've talked in the last month, you've probably seen this, this nasty little thing growing on my eye. Don't, don't talk to me about it afterwards. I'm super insecure. Uh, anyway, uh, it's getting cut out on Thursday. We, get, we gave it a name in our house. His name is Chris. Uh, my name is Curtis. His name is Chris. And so Chris is dying on Thursday. Uh, but I had to go to a pre-appointment about a month ago. And it was in this uh, tiny doctor's office. And it felt like there was a gazillion people uh, in there and uh, and we waited two hours almost all of us waited uh, two hours and so for the first hour that we were in the waiting room I mean we're close too. we're snug we're friendly we're smelling one another uh, no one talked it's just dead silence which and you know why because we're all like this right? Netflix the news that game that you would be embarrassed about if anybody knew that you were playing that little kid's game on your phone, right? We're all doing that. But then your battery starts getting a little bit low. And uh, the second hour, we, we all talked. But there was a real distinct moment in which we all sort of just looked up. And when you look up, you, you see people. And that's my prayer today, is that we look up and, and we see the people that Jesus has sent us to. As people who live in Jerusalem. Um, Six million nine hundred and ninety-seven thousand three hundred and eighty-four people live in Houston, Texas as of last night. Give or take some. Seven billion seven hundred and five million five hundred and ninety six thousand six hundred and eighty two people alive in the world as of last night. I found this website, which I'm sure is a thousand percent accurate, and it just has the population of the world just spinning. And so last night when I checked, that's what it was. All of those people created by God in his image. God has a plan for them that was before he created the world. Jesus died for them. And Jesus is returning. And he told us in the Gospels that when he gets back, he's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. But he's made a way through his own death and resurrection that, that people can be sheep, be a part of the family of God. And in his wisdom, which we will never understand, in his wisdom, he thought it was better to reach those 7,705,596,682. He thought it was a better strategy to reach them at this moment for you to be here with the power of the Spirit of God, then for Him to be here. And 
And he has sent you to some portion of that 6,997,384 people in the greater Houston area right now. Some of those people have your name on it. But we got to look up. Jesus told the disciples, look up and see that the fields are white with harvest. And so I don't know today if you have gotten trapped in just looking down what is in front of you. And what is in front of you is very real. And it is, can be hard. And it is meaningful. But we've got to look up. There is work to do. And he has left us here to do it. And so when we leave today, um, I would love for you to be doing two things. One, be praying. Be praying for the seven billion people on planet Earth right now. Be praying for the six million people in Houston, almost seven million people. And then start asking, God, where are you sending me to follow through on Jesus' instructions? Where I am, where I have been and will be. And even my yes is on the table for the ends of the earth. And I want you to know that I have worked it out between me and God that I would not ask you to do something that I would not do. And so I put my yes on the table too. If I would be better used in the kingdom to be in the ends of the earth, and that's where I want to be. So God, will you help us? Will you help us? Will you help us go where you want us to go and do what it is you want us to do? Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to finish by praying for one another. Uh, when you leave this morning, um, in just a second, you're going to see some people in some green shirts. Um, and they'll be around some of those little tables out in the lobby. Uh, those are uh, some folks who are happy to answer any questions. If God is stirring up your heart uh, today, um, Hey, I, I want to be sent. I want to be better sent here in Houston. I, I want to know how to share my faith. I, I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth. We're sending out short-term mission teams all the time, all around the world. And maybe you, this year you need to use some of your vacation to go to Jordan uh, or to go to India and uh, be a witness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection there. If you just, just feel stirring today, sometimes it's helpful to just say that out loud. You're not making a commitment. Uh, of any kind. We're not going to manipulate you into being a missionary. Uh, those usually don't make great missionaries. Um, but uh, if God is stirring in you today for something here or something there, uh, I want you to stop and, and, and just say that out loud. Uh, but I want us to pray for one another now. So many of us have obstacles. We want to be people who would say yes to God no matter what. But we really do have some hard things in front of us. And so if you're struggling right now with anything, uh, I want you to come and be prayed for. You can pray for yourself and, and hopefully you're doing that. But it's another thing to have a brother or sister pray for you by name and to hear that. And so if you need prayer today, I want you to come and pray. Maybe there's somebody that you really care about uh, who needs prayer. I want you to come and pray uh, for them as well.
God, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear them in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit? Amen. So let's worship together. And as God moves your heart for prayer, big or small, you don't hesitate to come.